Do y'all remember the, um, the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville a little bit over a year ago? It's kind of hard to, to forget that day. Um, in that crowd, there was a man there named Ken Parker, who was a grand dragon of the KKK. And by his own words, the KKK wasn't hardcore enough in their beliefs, so he also joined the Nazi party. And he was in Charlottesville that day because he, I mean, frankly, he wanted to see things go badly. And it was after the time that the, the police intervened and put an end to the rally, Parker was on his way back to his car, and he was, he was sick from dehydration. It was an August day. And as he was approaching his car, he was approached by an Afghani slash Pakistani, so Middle Eastern, think that look, filmmaker who was filming a documentary. Parker was rude and demeaning, as you might imagine. She was kind and caring. She kept asking if he, if he was okay and if he needed water and offering water to him while he hurled insults at her. Because of her kindness, though, a crack in his hardened racist heart started to form. And it was a few months later, Parker was walking by the swimming pool in his apartment complex in Georgia. He was walking by with his girlfriend, and he saw a black man inside the swimming pool uh, area whose name was William McKinnon, and he was there having a cookout with his friends and his family. And as the crowd started to thin, Parker and his girlfriend came up to McKinnon, and they had some questions. And in particular, he had questions because he could tell something was different about this man, and he wanted to know why. McKinnon was a, a pastor. And McKinnon agreed to meet up with Parker and his girlfriend after that night, and this was after like an hour-long session, Q&A session, and he agreed to, to keep meeting with them for these Q&A sessions. And then Easter Sunday rolled around, and he invited Parker out to, to the church service at his church for Easter Sunday. And it was there that Ken Parker heard of the life-transforming love of Jesus on that Easter Sunday. So six years after first wearing a KKK robe, Parker put on a robe for baptism by a man he would have despised and wanted to harm just 11 months earlier. Ken Parker met Jesus, and his life would never be the same. In Romans 6, we're going to turn a corner tonight. We've been walking through the book of Romans, and we're going to step into Romans chapter 6. And it's a bit of a turn because Paul starts out Romans telling us the truth, the reality about our sin. And then he moves from that to sharing with us the solution to that problem. That we who have been alienated from God because of our sin, we who deserve nothing but death because of our sin, can have life. Can be reconciled, can be brought back to God. 
through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. That through the sacrificial death of Jesus, we who were once enemies can be reconciled to God. And so, really, if you think about it, for the first five chapters of Romans, Paul has been showing us Jesus. He wants us to meet Jesus there in those first five chapters. He wants you and he wants me to know this Savior. And for all who come to know this Savior, for all who come to follow Jesus, life will never and can never be the same. And that change that comes with justification, that fancy word for us being made right with God, that change we call sanctification. Another way to think about that is we're becoming made more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And it always follows justification. So for all who come to know Jesus, a change in their life, sanctification, always follows. And so tonight and for the next few weeks, Paul's going to be telling us about our sanctification. Let's hear it from his words from God's word Romans chapter 6 1 through 14 what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." So if you look back at at, at the first verse there, Paul starts the chapter with a a question we should probably expect. He's just been talking in chapter 5, if you remember from last week, this fact that we're justified by his grace, that it's a free gift, there's nothing we do to earn it, it's all of Christ, it's all of his grace. And and we even said something like, um, where our sin is, is abounding, his grace abounds all the more. Y'all remember that? We made a big deal over the, the idea that, that God's grace is abundant and abounding to us. 
So then the, the question comes up, if all of that is true, Paul anticipates this question coming at him, do we continue in sin then that grace might abound? In other words, if, if God's grace abounds where there's sin, should we just go on sinning? Like, should we just go headlong into it so that God's grace can abound to us? And Paul's answer there in verse 2 is a resounding In fact, he kind of comes at it with this logic. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's saying that if you're asking the are we free to sin question, you're asking the wrong question. The question we should be asking is how can one who's died to sin still live in it? How can one who has died to sin still live in it. And then to try to help us understand this point, he points us to baptism. I'm not going to get into all that's behind the idea of baptism. We could we could spend a whole evening doing that, but but let me let me just summarize with this. One of the main ideas of baptism, one of the things one of the main things baptism symbolizes is our union to Christ. You with me? Okay, so our union, our being joined to Christ. And so Paul, what Paul's saying with this, with pointing us to baptism is this. Just as Christ was put to death on the cross, so we, in our union, in our being joined to Christ, have put to death our old self. Or, or to use the language that you find there in verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him. Curious. Anybody in here been um, skydiving? Katie Benz. <laughs> you might have been the last few I would have guessed. You've been dot skydiving. Did you go solo? No, I can't. You can't go solo, right? Because they make you your first few times go go tandem or, or go with someone, and so what it looks like is you're strapped. To an instructor. By the way, we got to talk more about that because I've got a lot of questions. Um, but but those first few times, you're strapped to an instructor, and so your fate, your success or failure, your life or your death, are directly tied to the decisions and the actions of that instructor. And that's kind of how it is with faith in Jesus. That's kind of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life has been surrendered to Him, and you've been strapped to Him. Your fate is tied to His. He was put to death on a cross, and in our union to Him, our being strapped to Him, our old self is put to death with Him see that our old self was crucified just like verse 6 says practically speaking here's how that plays out I was a 15 year old when I came to know the love of Jesus Um, it was not a good life I was living prior to that 
being joined to Christ, my old self was going to have to die. My self-centeredness, my people-pleasing, my pride in my performance, my sinful sexual relationships were all going to have to be put to death. Think of it, think of it this way. Imagine Jerry Marengo, fiance of Shannon, fiance of Shannon, um, goes to the altar this Saturday. By the way, did you know Shannon's getting married this Saturday? Imagine Jerry goes to the altar this Saturday and says, Shannon, I'll marry you as long as I can keep past girlfriends, can take every night to hang with the boys, and can live in whatever way that brings me pleasure. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not, that's not working. No, it, because in marriage, Jerry's going to have to put to death the old self. For Shannon's good and for the good of the marriage. And so the way this works out practically, Jerry's priorities, Jerry's affections, and essentially Jerry's life, it's going to have to change. Because we've been joined to Christ, our priorities change. Our affections change. Our lives change. We put to death the old desires and we live for new ones. We put to death the old self and we live for Jesus Christ. So my question, have you put on, have you put the old self to death? Have you put all the old self to death? Does Jesus have your priorities, your affections, your very life? Well, we've been talking about the the death, crucified side of the equation. Not only has our old self been crucified with Christ, but I want to talk about the life, the resurrection side of the equation. Because if we're in Christ, if we've been joined to Christ, not only has our old self been put to death, but we've been set free to walk in newness of life. Look look at the second half of verse 4. You'll see it pretty clearly there. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Remember, we've been united to Christ. And not only are we united in His death, but we're also united in in his life. So just as we're strapped to him in his dying, we're also strapped to him in his rising. Because he was raised to new life, we too have been raised to new life. And there's one critical part, one critical aspect of this newness newness to life that Paul does not want us to miss. And the reason I say this is because he says it three different times, three different ways. You'll see it here. He says, we have been set free from the dominion of sin. He says it in 6, 7, and 8. We're no longer enslaved to sin. Sin and death no longer have dominion over us. Wait a second. Paul, I hear you saying sin no longer has dominion over us. I hear you saying in Christ we're no longer enslaved to sin. 
But why does it feel like death still has, or sin still has a death grip on me? Why does it feel like I'm still enslaved to sin? Let me answer that with a few answers. First, our feelings are not the best indicator of what's true. General rule for life. Y'all with me on this? Get this. Our feelings are not the best indicator of what's true. For example, I often don't feel like I have no re- I often feel like I have no reason for joy or gratitude. Wake up in the morning and I'm in a bad mood, which is morning time for me. But the reality is that every moment of every day I have countless reasons for rejoicing and thanksgiving. Even if I don't feel like it, do I have life and breath? Yes, then I have something to be thankful for. Do I have food in my belly? Probably. I have something to be thankful for. Do I have decent? Y'all see, y'all see what I'm doing. Just because I don't feel it doesn't mean it ain't true. Second reason we feel this way is because we have an enemy who wants us to believe we're still under sin's dominion. If Satan can keep us believing that we're still enslaved to sin, then how are we going to live? Like we're enslaved to sin. If Satan has you brainwashed and thinking you're still under sin's dominion, I got pretty good money saying you're going to continue in sin. And then thirdly, We still have a sinful nature. We still have a sinful nature that, that's kind of like an old master who's still living, but he no longer rules. He no longer reigns. He no longer has dominion. And that sinful nature will not go away quietly. It will fight us. But listen, we're not under its dominion. And we do not have to obey that master. And Paul will spend the next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, trying to convince us of this fact. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. He wants us to see how crazy it is that we continue to live in sin when it's the very thing that Jesus came to set us free from. Do y'all remember the story in the Bible where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Quick summary. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus who had fallen ill and had died. He had been dead four days when Jesus came to his grave and he spoke those words, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did. And he threw off the grave clothes that were wrapped around his head and around his body. And he came out. And he went on to live more years of life. But now imagine Lazarus coming out but refusing to throw off the grave clothes. Or imagine Lazarus coming out and returning to the the tomb every night to go to sleep. You'd think he was crazy. You'd think he's lost his mind. But isn't it just as crazy when we who've been raised with Jesus keep going back to our sin? 
Isn't it just as insane to stay wrapped up in our sin when Jesus himself has called us out of sin and death? Why do we who have been set free keep going back? Jesus is calling us to this new life, this resurrection life. Will you come? Will you believe that he's done that for you? And will you walk into that newness of life that he calls you to? For all who are in Christ, we have died to sin and we've been raised to newness of life. And Paul ends this passage with with three very practical applications. Let me give them to you real quick. First application you see there in verse 11. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So these these are three takeaways Paul wants you to walk away from this text with. Paul's saying we need to change the way we think. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. We've got to live with the mindset that we are dead to sin and alive to God because this is what we are. For us to live it, we've got to first believe it. And so Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Second application, verse 12. Let not sin reign in your bodies to make you obey its passions. Paul's saying we need to change our desires. What do you love? What do you pursue? What do you desire? Let me me change that just a little bit. What's the thing you turn to first? to give you pleasure or comfort. If it's not Christ, then it will soon be sin reigning in us. So we need to change what we desire or sin will begin to reign in us. And then third application, verse 13. Do not present your bodies. He uses the word members here. Do not present your bodies to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. So Paul's told us, you got to, you got to have a change of mind. You've got to change your desires. And here he's saying, we've got to have a change of our actions, a change of our lives. We need to look at our lives honestly and ask, where am I giving myself to unrighteousness? Is it in gossip, in greed, in laziness, in apathy, in pornography, in not loving my neighbor, in an addiction, in bitterness, in a sexual relationship, whatever? If you are a follower of Jesus, these must die. In our Colossians passage that we read earlier, or that Philip read, that, that's what Paul was saying there, too. And day by day, we need to come before God saying, God, here I am. I'm yours. Take my mind, take my heart, take my life. They're yours, and make them pleasing to you. Because Jesus in us changes us. Just like it changed Ken Parker, the most hardened racist and white supremacist. God can change any heart. And as those who follow him, we need to be putting sin to death and we need to be walking and living in newness of life. And I'm going to say this over and over as we go through these chapters on sanctification. But y'all, this is not a duty. 
I don't live to please Christ out of duty. I don't, I don't live a life that's honoring to him out of duty. It's a delight. What's tomorrow? Valentine's, Valentine's Day. And, and when I leave here, what'd you say? We were like Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> On the way home, I'm going to stop by Walmart because it's open all hours. And I know, big spender, Joe. I know. And, and I'm going to get my wife flowers. And I'm, I'm going to get my wife candy. And I'm going to get my wife a candle because these are things that she likes. And I don't do this because it's a duty. And I don't do this because somewhere someone decided that Valentine, Valentine's Day was February 14th. Like, that's not why I do it. That might be the occasion. Y'all know why I do it. I love my wife. Listen, we, we don't live to please Christ. We don't put our old self to death and walk in newness of life because we have to. Or because it's our duty. We do it because of the one who f- we love the one who first loved us. We want to give ourselves to the one who gave himself for us on the cross. So it's not a duty, it's a so as you hear more and more on sanctification, I want sanctification to be like that. I want it to be your delight. That you wake up in the morning and you want to honor your Lord and Savior. You want to walk according to His Word. You want to live a life pleasing to Him. And, and maybe one more thought. That's where our highest joy will be found. We seem to think it's some kind of lesser or less fun life. No, that's where your joy is going to be found. We've been trying all the stuff this earth gives us, and we know it doesn't satisfy. So let's take God at his word. Let's let's live for him and trust he'll give us the highest joy. Because he will. Let me pray for us. God, thanks that every word we read is true. That you have set us free from sin and death and you have enabled us to walk in newness of life. Thank you that that's what you purchased and accomplished for us on the cross. So Lord, give us greater faith to believe that. Give us hearts that desire that. And then give us lives that live that for your honor and for your glory, for our good and for our joy. We ask it in Christ's name.